A former medieval prison turned two-bedroom cottage, complete with shadowy forms, mysterious bloodstains, and poisonous snakes. Sound like the home for you? Well, if you're in the market for a haunted house, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Haunted Homes. Fourteen Colchester Road, St. Osith, Essex. Situated in a highly desirable historic village in a region boasting the driest climate in England, this delightfully quirky cottage comprises of two ample bedrooms, recently renovated family bathroom and kitchen, ground floor water closet, two reception rooms, and a rear courtyard garden. Combining modern convenience with period charm, this unique property has been extensively updated over time. However, the core of the building, a small brick structure measuring 10.5 by 9.5 feet, lies on foundations dating all the way back to the Middle Ages. Originally serving as the village lockup, temporarily imprisoning drunks, thieves, and assorted other petty criminals, the cage, as it is popularly known, was in operation from at least as early as the 15th century, right up until 1908. Now a cozy ground-floor reception room, the cage was once the dank jail cell that held the infamous Ursula Kemp, a wise woman tried and executed for witchcraft in 1582. Some say she's still here, eternally shackled to the earthly prison that confined her in life. But more on the property's paranormal features later. First, a little bit about the local area. Though a bit off the beaten track for urban commuters, St. Osith lies just five miles west of the bustling coastal town of Clacton-on-Sea and 12 miles southeast from Colchester, a mid-sized city with train links into central London. If it's a simple village life you're after, you've found the place. Despite the fact the cage is located on the main road leading into the village centre, adjacent to a popular local watering hole, the King's Arms, you won't be disturbed after dark. Or at least not by the living, anyways. At 12 o'clock, last call at the pub is announced, and the streetlights shut off, plunging St. Osith into a quiet darkness. You might feel as though you stepped back in time. The road running directly behind the house is pedestrian only, known by the locals as Coffin Alley. This convenient cut-through linking two larger thoroughfares used to be the route on which coffins were transported from the church to the cemetery. You're unlikely to be accosted by the dead here now, though villagers will warn you that it is a regular hangout for venomous snakes, adders, or common European vipers, to be more precise. They may bite, but they seldom cause any noise disturbance. The village itself is modest, with a population of just over 4,000, yet well-serviced with local amenities. Several pubs, takeaways, and shops will keep you well-fed, but the real food for thought is St. Osith's unique heritage. At the heart of the village lies St. Osith's Priory, a 12th-century religious house founded in 1121 and dedicated to the local saint, a medieval noblewoman and abbess. In fact, it is this mythic figure, 
the village's namesake that is perhaps its best-known ghost. So, let's meet one of your ghostly new neighbors. The legend of Ozith begins in the late 7th century in the neighboring county, Buckinghamshire, where the future patron saint was born into Mercian royalty. Ozith's father was Frithwald, a sub-king of Surrey, and her mother was Wilburga, daughter of King Penda of Mercia. According to her father's wishes, Ozith was betrothed to Sighir, king of Essex. But the headstrong young noblewoman had other plans. She dreamed of taking up the veil and devoting her life to God. On her wedding day, whilst her betrothed and his courtiers were out hunting for a rare and magnificent white heart, Ozith convinced a pair of bishops to bless her. King Sighir was naturally disappointed to have lost his bride to the church, but eventually relented and granted her freedom, as well as a large estate in Essex where she established an abbey. The tiny settlement, then known as Chich, the Anglo-Saxon term for bend referring to the local creek, was soon to be the site of horrific atrocity. In or around the year 700, a band of marauding Danes washed up on the far southeastern shore of the North Sea and made their way inland towards Chich, raping and pillaging as they went. Forewarned of the impending raid, Ozith and her sisters fled the abbey with whatever precious items they could find and hid in the woods outside the creekside. Alas, they were quickly discovered by the Viking raiders who demanded they renounce their god and plead allegiance to the Norse pantheon. Ozith refused and paid with her life. A swift axe blow to the neck left the abbess crumpled to the ground, decapitated. Miraculously, however, she soon rose back up, gathered her severed head under her arm, and made a slow, steady progress back to the abbey. When she finally arrived, she struck the door with her blood-soaked skull before collapsing for a second time. She would not get back up again, or at least not in this life. Locals say the headless saint can still be seen every year on the anniversary of her death, taking long, leisurely strolls around the Priory grounds. These grounds, now a private estate, lie directly opposite the cage, making St. Ozith your nearest spectral neighbour. She is but one of many. Reverend Martin Flowerdew, the village's former vicar, once claimed that he had never been to a parish as haunted as St. Ozith. Before fleeing to a quieter parish some 200 miles north in Derbyshire, he was called upon to bless at least four other haunted homes on Colchester Road alone. But where other haunted homeowners have kept a low profile, the cage's previous owner has been quite vocal about her experiences. Vanessa Mitchell, a St. Osith native, purchased the cage in 2005. Enchanted by the distinctive mustard-colored cottage she remembered passing every day on the way to school as a girl, Ms. Mitchell had high hopes for her new home. Granted, she knew something of its sordid past. She'd heard stories of its high turnover rate and knew from the plaque affixed to the exterior wall that it once served as a prison. But that was about it. She wasn't scared, though. After all, she'd grown up in another eerie old St. Ozith property, one with hidden priest holes, abandoned servants' quarters, and floors that groaned in the night. And here, in her new home, at least, she wouldn't be alone. She had a housemate for company, her childhood best friend, Nicole Kirtley. What she wasn't prepared for was the uninvited housemates. That is, the deceased ones, who made their presence known from almost the moment Ms. Mitchell first set foot in the property. On move-in day, while Ms. Kirtley was unpacking boxes in one of the upstairs bedrooms, Ms. Mitchell puttered around the charming old-world kitchen preparing a cup of celebratory tea, the first to be enjoyed in her new home. 
Hearing footsteps behind her, Ms. Mitchell spun around, expecting to greet her friend coming in for a much-needed break. Instead, she found herself face-to-face with an ominous black fog, roughly human-shaped but completely devoid of any distinguishing features. Frozen in fear and dripping in a cold sweat, Ms. Mitchell slowly turned her gaze to the nearby window. There, outside the house, was Miss Kirtley unloading another box from their car. As the dusky vapor slowly dissipated, Ms. Mitchell vowed to keep this little encounter a secret from her living housemate. Not everyone, you see, is as keen on living in a haunted house as you are. But of course, the secret could only be kept for so long. Even if it hadn't been for the cold spots, strange smells, and moving objects, her friend would have discovered the dark truth anyways. Whilst working as a barmaid at the pub next door, Ms. Kirtley heard talk of the family who formerly occupied the cage. Rumour had it, their young son kept setting fire to his bedroom. He was possessed, they said. By who, or by what exactly, they couldn't say. After a few months in the cage, Ms. Mitchell began making her own grim discoveries about the property's previous occupants. She found deed records indicating that, over the years, the house had changed hands roughly every three and a half years. In one instance, a man had purchased the house for £150. Less than a month later, he sold it for £50 less. Another occupant hung himself in the house just six months prior to Ms. Mitchell and Ms. Kirtley moving in. Then, of course, there were the cage's involuntary occupants. Prior to moving in, Ms. Mitchell knew next to nothing about the cage's most notorious prisoners. These were the St. Ozith Witches, a group of 14 women, including the aforementioned Ursula Kemp, who were all put on trial for witchcraft in the late 16th century. Ms. Mitchell was, however, aware that years earlier, a skeleton believed to have been Kemp had been discovered in the unconsecrated land nearby, with iron stakes driven through its arms and legs to prevent it from rising and wreaking havoc on the villagers. In fact, as it later transpired, the remains were not those of Kemp at all, and the whole thing had been an elaborate hoax. Nevertheless, as Miss Mitchell would learn, the truth of Kemp's demise was equally disturbing. Ursula Kemp was one of those women who was never going to have an easy time of it. Particularly not in 16th century St. Osith, a far cry from the picturesque little village it is today. 400 years ago, It was a poverty-stricken hovel miles from anywhere with a desecrated abbey and a small but miserable population desperately seeking a scapegoat for their pitiful existence. Ursula Kemp and her kind would prove to be the perfect targets. Kemp, like most of the villagers, was poor, uneducated, and in all likelihood completely illiterate. Because she was married or possibly widowed, she held the sole responsibility for providing for her eight-year-old son, Thomas. And the only means by which she could do this was by offering her neighbours the benefit of her knowledge of the natural world. She was a wise woman and a healer who provided her services in exchange for scraps of food and meagre sums of money. One day in 1582, Grace Thurlow, a neighbour, called on Kemp to help her sick baby. Kemp recited a simple spell and miraculously the child recovered. The healer would not, however, receive any compensation for her work. And so, when a short while later, Thurlow's baby fell from its cot and snapped its neck, it was naturally assumed that the embittered Kemp was responsible. Thurlow went straight to the authorities, who promptly arrested Kemp for witchcraft and threw her in the cage for questioning. One can imagine the sheer panic Kemp must have felt, sitting alone in her tiny dark cell, 
not knowing if she would ever see her child or the light of day again. As it turns out, the local lord and witchfinder general, Brian Darcy, offered her lenience. If Kemp confessed to her crime, he would spare her from execution. Knowing she stood little chance of successfully arguing her case in court, she relented. She admitted to dabbling in the dark arts and proceeded to drop the dime on several of her fellow wise women, accusing 12 other villagers of similar crimes. She was not shown mercy. Ultimately, Kemp would be tried and convicted of her crime in Chelmsford, the county seat some 16 miles away. But once it was all over, she was almost certainly returned to St. Ozith and the confines of the cage to await her punishment. It is not known exactly when, where, or how Kemp was executed, only that she likely spent her frightening final days locked in what was now Vanessa Mitchell's sitting room. If there is a dark energy in the house, this is probably the primary source of it. Yet, in spite of all this, Ms. Mitchell wasn't scared off just yet. Ghosts or no ghosts, the cage was still her home. And so long as she wasn't left alone there, everything would be fine. But then came the day that Ms. Kirtley announced she would be moving out with her boyfriend. They were expecting a baby, and the cage was really no place for a small child. No, indeed, Ms. Mitchell would find this out for herself just a short while later, but in the meantime, she held tight in her haunted house. By this point, she'd begun to question whether she really did want to live here after all, but she suppressed these doubts by filling her home with a regular succession of house guests. One weekend, Ms. Mitchell was hosting her mates Christy Williams, a registered nurse, and her husband Neil, a soldier in the British Army. They were enjoying a perfectly pleasant afternoon, catching up over drinks, when the friends suddenly noticed something strange. A spattering of dark red liquid dotted along the hall floor, almost as if dripped from a pipette. Mrs. Williams, who worked in hematology, knew exactly what she was looking at. Blood, and she knew it wasn't there when they arrived. The three friends searched for a logical explanation. A broken window, an injured animal that had slunk into the house for safety. Nothing. Ms. Mitchell took it as a bad omen. Little could she have guessed what was yet to come. In the summer of 2007, Ms. Mitchell began to feel ill. Regular trips to the doctors provided little relief or answers, so she was sent to the local hospital for testing. An ultrasound technician administered an examination of her abdomen and found something quite unexpected inside. A five-and-a-half-month-old fetus. Ms. Mitchell was in complete and utter shock. Panic swept over her. Not only was she about to raise a child all on her own, she was to do it in the cage alone. At this point, she might have rushed to put the place on the market, hoping to secure a safe new nest before her baby was born. But as fate would have it, the autumn of 2007 witnessed the greatest global recession of the century. The housing market ground to a halt and Ms. Mitchell's variable rate mortgage skyrocketed. She was in serious trouble. A prisoner, trapped in her own home, drowning in a sea of debt. Like Ursula Kemp before her, Ms. Mitchell now found there was no escaping the cage. The spirits, it seems, took no pity. If anything, they ramped up the activity. Unseen forces pushed, shoved, and even bit. Disembodied voices swirled around the pregnant woman's head, urging her to end it all. Her only source of strength was her burgeoning maternal instincts. Her breaking point came just a few months after giving birth. 
though her precious baby Jessie was seldom left alone, on one winter's evening, Ms. Mitchell, by now an exhausted and overburdened single mum, realized she had some unfinished washing she needed to tend to before work the next day. She left the sleeping babe in their shared room and crept downstairs. Alone in the former prison room, she quietly got to work, methodically pushing the iron across her business clothes. Suddenly, an eerie mechanical children's tune filled the air. She looked down and saw that a Thomas the Tank Engine toy had somehow sprung to life, chugging around her feet. She instantly knew this was a sign of something more sinister to come. She bounded up the stairs, two steps at a time, calling out for her child. And there, at the top, stood a man. Not a family friend or a home invader, but a ghostly figure blocking the path to the bedroom where her only child slept. She had no choice but to barge past. To this day, Ms. Mitchell has no idea who this man was or why he made the decision to show himself on that particular winter's night. Clearly not a 16th century witch or even an old-timey prison warden, this unknown figure wore modern clothing. Was this the man who hung himself months before Ms. Mitchell moved in? She really doesn't know. She only knows that this was the final straw. She and Jessie moved out that week to live with a family friend. The house then sat empty for the next 12 years. So maybe 14 Colchester Road isn't the home for everyone. But if you're in the market for a haunted house and can hack a witch's curse, a potential possession, strange vaporous forms and full-bodied apparitions, this just might be the house for you. But do mind the venomous snakes around back. <laughs> 